Thank you, Julian. There is a lot in that passage, more than you may imagine, at least that's what I thought when I worked on it. Next week, we are going to be a lighthouse church. The Bible Society turns 200 years old. I've written a bulletin comment about it, which is pretty exciting, I think, for Australia. Just a a point to celebrate the work of the Word of God in our nation for over 200 years. So we're going to do that. We're going to join with the Bible Society and it's going to be different. I'll actually be in the Southern Highlands coming back from a wedding uh, with a late night. We've been put up for the night very kindly by the family so I won't be here. But we're going to have a simulcast of a service that the Bible Society has organised to celebrate their 200th birthday. So it will be different. If you're feeling a little bit put out by that, by having a symbol cast rather than a face-to-face message, be gracious, I'm giving you pre-warning, but I'm hoping it's going to be an exciting day as we celebrate with people all around our nation the Bible in a sense, turning 200 in Australia. And it is a marker, it is a landmark time I think and something worth celebrating. So come along next week, invite others, we may have some guests with us as we're being advertised as a Bible Society Lighthouse Church. Just let you be aware of that today. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand your word, the message of John the Baptist, and more importantly, Lord, who Jesus is and what he is for us. We ask in his name. Amen. Um, Let's put up a photo. Who's this guy? Regular Joe? Does anybody, put up your hand if you recognise this regular Joe. Ah, we've got one foodie, Lillian Sue. Anybody else recognise this regular Joe? Maybe he's a tradie. Maybe he's a truck driver. Well, what if we put up this photo here? Anybody know who it is? This is Luke Mangan. He is a celebrity chef. He owns 19 restaurants, including the Salt Chain and Mojo, and he goes on TV and he's one of these superstars. He also does the food program for business and first class for Virgin Australia. Winnie Yo used to work for Virgin Australia and she sees this guy, he looks a bit like a tradie or a truck driver, who is he, come into the foyer one day and she goes out to say hello to him and sort of always tries to engage people in the foyer in conversation so, you know, just so they don't go running around the offices and stealing secret information or whatever. And um, she's asking him about where he lives and about his family and he's looking alike alike because she didn't know who he was and someone comes over and says, that's Luke Mangan, he's a celebrity chef. Oh, have you ever had that experience where you've met somebody but you didn't know who they are and someone comes and says, you know, that's so-and-so? I was watching this thing by Rico Tice who's a uh, speaker, a preacher in, a, in England. He went to this, was invited to this fancy, fancy function one day and he had to wear a bow tie and a suit and all that and he goes up and he waits on the stairwell on the, before going in and this other guy comes and stands next to him and he gives him a nod and says looks at him and says, and they start some idle chit-chat, you know, like blokes do, not looking at each other in the face, just, yeah, nice day, mate, yeah, 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 whatever, in, in, in an English accent. Then they open up the doors and this guy walks up and looks up and, that's Prince William! I was just standing on the stairwell with Prince William, the future King of England, I didn't even say a proper hello! Like, what's so special about these people like Luke Mangan or Prince William? What makes them so special? Because they're just regular Joes or Marys like you and me. What makes them special, I guess, is their position, their title or what they've achieved or a special gift or ability that they have. That's what makes them special. Let me ask, what makes you special? We're going to be looking at the passage from uh, John's Gospel about 
two special people. Actually, there's three special people, I think, here. John has finished his introduction, his prologue. He's introduced Jesus as the Word of God. It's a big picture concept and he's got all these big picture abstract abstract terms like his light, his life, he's the glory of God. If you were to um, do John 1, 1 to 18 in Sunday school classes up at Kids at Sunday Live, it would be hard work because it's so abstract. It's a little bit like a movie introduction. You know, sometimes with the movies, they just, you don't know what's going on. It's just mood and feel and ideas. There's no story in the first two or three minutes or while the preliminary credits are playing. And then the story starts and you get scene one and you get a character. Well, John 1 to 18 is a little bit like that sort of moody stuff that's hard to pin down. We're starting at verse 19 today and the story begins. It's scene one, meet the first characters. We're into the story of Jesus proper. And the first character we meet is a bloke named John. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. There's a special delegation, a kind of a religious experts delegation because something's happening. We better send the religious guys out to find out what's going on and report back. And they come to John, we call him John the Baptist, and they say, who are you? What's so special about you? Because this fellow John was an unusual man. He was living in the desert. He was a prophetic figure. In fact, if we go back to Mark's Gospel, Mark's story of Jesus, this is how Mark tells us about John. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. This is massive. They came confessing their sins and being baptised by him in the Jordan River. Now John wore clothing made of camel's hair. I think that's supposed to say ouch. With a leather belt round his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey. That's grasshoppers and wild honey. I'll stick to the wild honey, thank you. That is John the Baptist. He is leading a movement which is having a social impact and making change in society. Today, the media would be all over John the Baptist. What's going on in the wilderness? Perhaps he's the Messiah the promised Jewish king who will deliver the people. He didn't, this is John, he did not fail to confess. In fact, he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Okay, so you're not the Messiah. Perhaps he's the prophet Elijah. He dresses like the prophet Elijah was said to have dressed. He behaves like the prophet Elijah and in fact Malachi the prophet said that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, that he will send Elijah to the people. Maybe this is Elijah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
Or maybe he's the prophet because back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said that a prophet like me, Moses says, will arise, the Lord will rise, raise up a prophet like me and you must listen to him. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. No, I'm none of these end time figures that you are waiting for. I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Come on, you're so special. Who are you then? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I am not these end time figures, but I am special. You see, I am the voice that Isaiah spoke about. Isaiah 40 verse 3, John quotes, it is a significant turning point in Isaiah's prophecy. Before Isaiah 40, Isaiah focuses mostly on the sin of Jerusalem and the sin of the nations and judgment that God will bring. There are hints and indications of hope, but it's mostly their wickedness and that God will not tolerate this any longer. In fact, there will be exile for the people of God. They'll be taken away. Isaiah 40 comes and it's the turning point. The turning point of hope, the turning point of comfort, the turning point for a day of salvation for the people of God. In fact, I'm going to go back and read to you the start of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. There's been lots of untender words to this point. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, there's comfort because God will forgive. The sins of Israel and Jerusalem will have been paid for. There's going to be restoration. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God for every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places will become a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed on that day and all the peoples will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a big day. John says, that's me that Isaiah is speaking about. I'm the one preparing the way. I'm the one that's the voice in the wilderness because the glory of the Lord's about to be revealed and there is going to be comfort and your sins will be paid for. That's me, that's my job to prepare the way. It'll be a new day of forgiveness. See, John was special. He had a special role. But you know, even from his very birth, John was special. His parents were very old. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth and the angel Gabriel came and appeared to Zechariah one day. He was a priest. He was actually serving in the temple, in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Very special day. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him in Luke's Gospel. And I'll say to you what, here's what, here's what Gabriel said, showing how special John the Baptist is. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. They had no children to this point. And you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be special. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. You're going to prepare the way, young little baby boy. He's a special boy, this John we call the Baptist. When he was born, Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he says this about his son, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You hear the consistent message? To give his people the knowledge of salvation. How? Through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God to which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the path of righteousness. What a special boy. He will prepare the way for the Lord. He will speak of the forgiveness of sins which will be salvation to God's people. He will be the one ready, preparing for the light to shine on those who are in darkness, even the darkness of death. What a special boy. So John says, back to John chapter 1, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees had been sent, these religious guys, question him, particularly the Pharisees, why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why do you baptise for forgiveness of sins? You're just the voice. How can you bring forgiveness of sins? And frankly, where are the guys who do the baptism? You see, the Pharisees did baptise. They, it looks like, mostly self-baptised, a symbol of cleansing. They'd plunged themselves into the water and they'd come up symbolically clean. But now John is baptising other people for forgiveness. He can't forgive sins. John's reply, I baptise with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to tie. See, John says, I'm just baptising with water. And water is only a symbol. Water doesn't cleanse from sin. It doesn't make the heart clean. But my water baptism 
prepares the way and points to a greater reality. And the greater reality that I'm pointing to, John says, it's am- he's among you. He's with you. And you don't know him. And compared to this greater reality, well, he's wearing sandals, the greater reality. And he's work- walking through dusty, dirty, manure-filled roads. Sandals were filthy. Feet were filthy. The lowest job of the lowest job would be to remove someone's sandals and wash their feet. John says, I'm not worthy to take out his garbage. I'm not worthy to clean his toilet. I'm not worthy to take off his sandals. So much lesser than he am I. What's so special about John the Baptist? Oh, much indeed. But it's nothing, says John, compared to Jesus. All I do is speak. All I do is point. All I do is baptise in symbol. Jesus, however, is the word. Jesus is the reality. Jesus brings forgiveness. Jesus is the one. I'm just the preparer the pointer, the symbol man. John says later in John's Gospel, I must decrease, but he must increase. For he's what it's all about. Yeah, I'm special, but actually I'm nothing. Now there is a danger for us who are Christian, who try to serve God. But we do ministry in Jesus' name, but our ego gets in the way. So this becomes my ministry, and this is my platform, and this is my time to shine because I'm pretty special. And it happens to perhaps all of us, particularly in a church setting. As Julian said, we're doing it in a very public sort of a way. You get up the front for some of us. Or in a ministry, you do something and you're leading. It's your ministry. It's my time to shine. We need to learn from John the Baptist. We cannot offer forgiveness or bring about. We are not light. We are not life. Jesus is God's glory revealed. And our job is simply to point to him. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Well, what's so special about Jesus? Just about everything. In the prologue, in these first 18 verses, Jesus is the Word of God. He is the life of God. He is the light of mankind. He is the one who guarantees our adoption as children of God, like Christine was talking about. He is God's grace and truth revealed in full. In verse 17, he is called Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah. He is the promised anointed King of God. He is the full revelation of God. He is God. It's grand and it's cosmic, the terms that John uses in verses 1 to 18. But let me ask this, what does all of that mean for you and for me? The scene changes and we meet Jesus. John sees Jesus coming to him 
And what does John say when he sees Jesus coming? He says, Behold the word of God. Behold the light of the world. Behold the glory of God. Behold, we have God coming now in human flesh. Behold the Messiah. Behold the grace and the truth of God in all of its fullness. He had so many things he could have said. What does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus coming? The first time we meet Jesus in this gospel in person. The next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. What's so special about Jesus? There are many things special about Jesus. But for you and for me, practically and relationally, Jesus is special because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, because your sins are paid for on this day. Zechariah sings and says, salvation will come through the forgiveness of sins on that day that John's preparing for. John comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is symbol waiting for the reality which is in Jesus. When the angel appeared to Joseph before Jesus was born, he said, your wife will give birth to a son or Mary will give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What's so special about Jesus? The word of God, the great cosmic glory of God. God himself came. What's so special? To save us from our sins. Relationally and practically, that is what's so special about Jesus. He humbles himself, as we sang, the servant king. And so John introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that's a direct reference to Old Testament, Old Covenant, sacrificial language. And it appears many times in the Old Testament story. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes his son Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice his one and only son because God told him to. It's an awful story. He gets to the top of the mountain, he prepares an order, loads up the timber, places his son on it and God provides a substitute, a ram, a lamb if you like, in the thickets caught by its horn, a bit older than a lamb, to be a burnt offering. The Lord provided a substitute so that Isaac could be saved, to die in Isaac's place. In Exodus chapter in Exodus, we have the ten plagues of the Exodus. The tenth plague is the Passover plague where the Lord says, I'm going to strike down the firstborn of all Egypt because you've ignored me till this point. You must let my people go. But he tells the people of Israel to, the night before, sacrifice a lamb, a young lamb, and eat that lamb that night as a feast, but to take the blood and to paint it over the doorframe of the house. And when the angel of death would pass over, he would pass over those houses with the blood on the doorframe so that they would be saved, in a sense, through the death of the lamb. And Israel was to repeat this practice year after year, once a year, every year. God saved us and we kill this lamb, we eat this lamb for a feast, remembering 
that God saved us out of slavery. There's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice of the, um, of the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, the guilt offering, so that a lamb or a goat would be slaughtered as a symbol that you are being forgiven, that the, the blood of the lamb is covering over your blood. When we go to the prophet Isaiah, he speaks about a suffering servant who would suffer for the sin of the people. It's really looking forward to Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed through the suffering of God's faithful servant. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then Isaiah says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth, the lamb of God, who dies for the sins of the people. In verse 10 of that chapter, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, the lamb of God, He will see his offspring and prolong his days. There's that hint there, that indication of resurrection and hope. But see, Isaiah is speaking about the Lamb of God who will suffer for the people and Jesus is all that and more. The Lamb of God. When we get to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, we meet the Lamb who was slain yet now seated on a throne and who is worthy to receive all power and dominion and glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came for the cross. Jesus came to be the Lamb. The Word came to be the Lamb to die on a Roman cross to bear our iniquity, to bear the punishment that we deserve so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and know the forgiveness of sin and be restored to relationship with the Father. And that is what baptism symbolises. It's a baptism of repentance, of turning back to God for the forgiveness of sins. It's just pointing. It's just a symbol. It's not the reality. It's a great symbol. It's a symbol I want all of you to embrace. Get baptised. It's a symbol of your forgiveness, but the reality is in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who offers us true forgiveness and a fresh start. John says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, says John. I didn't know who he was, he was my cousin, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I came with the symbol to reveal the reality. In fact, John doesn't know who Jesus is until he baptises him. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. 
But the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, this is the one who will baptise with, not water, but the Holy Spirit. In reality. Because the Holy Spirit washes our heart. It doesn't wash the skin. It washes our soul. It removes the stain of sin from our lives. See, the greatest thing about Jesus, I think, is who he is in relationship. And in relationship to you and me, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes, he's all those wonderful things of Messiah, light, life, word, life, ruler, but he is the Lamb who brings you into relationship, who offers you forgiveness. As Christine read earlier in her talk, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Because the greatness of Jesus is who he is in relationship. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, says the hymn. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer, to be able to approach the Father because we're forgiven. What a friend we have in Jesus. What's so great about Jesus? What a friend we have in Jesus. All my sins and griefs to bear. That's what's so great about Jesus. What's so special about him? Well, everything. Who he is in his person and who he is in relationship to us. He is what makes John the Baptist special. You know, Jesus said this of John in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 7. Jesus says of John, verse 26, Who did you go out in the desert to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I tell you that of those born of women, woman, there is no one greater than John. There is no one greater than John the Baptist, the great prophet, the one Isaiah spoke of, says Jesus. There is no one greater than John the Baptist, but I haven't finished the sentence. Verse 28, I tell you among those born of women there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. John stands on the threshold of the new order, the kingdom order. He's a herald. He's preparing the way for Jesus, but he never enters the kingdom age. His life is taken before Jesus dies and rises again. John John the Baptist is like Moses on Mount Pisgah, looking over the promised land but never able to enter it. He dies before the children go over the Jordan River. We live in the kingdom age post Jesus' death and resurrection. 
the least of you, the most feeble of you in the kingdom, who trust in Jesus, who hear, believe and obey, you're greater than John. Because you know the reality. See, we're special. You're special. You are so special. Because the Great One, the Son of God, the Word of God, God's Chosen One, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Glory of God came into our messy, messy world and put off His glory as we sang and took on human flesh to die a bloody and painful death out of love for you. The value of something is determined by the price someone is prepared to pay. How much is your house worth? My house is worth a lot less than it's worth. Because I just can't imagine the prices people pay. But someone's prepared to pay that amount. That's what it's worth. What are you worth? Well, what was someone prepared to pay for you? The King of Glory... The great I am, the great one, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was prepared to put off all of his glory and relationship with the Father to enter our messy world, to engage in the messiness as deep as it gets, to die for your sin, so that you might be forgiven. I told you there were three special people, John the Baptist, Jesus, but perhaps the most special in some ways is you and me, because Jesus died for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world takes away your sin in his death. If you will hear him and believe on him and obey him. There's no one more special than you and I. We're made in the image of God and God died for us. That we might live, that we might be forgiven Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I pray that you would know him and embrace him as your saviour. For to know Jesus is to know life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your love that is vast and unmeasurable that we do not deserve, but in your grace and your mercy you sent Jesus to save us. Help us to treat him as special, the most special one, and in in that relationship to see our great worth and find freedom in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. We're going to sing again sing about our God who came to earth, who we have um, a plea. He hears our struggles. He hears, um, he knows our sin, but doesn't look away. So please stand as we sing before the throne.
God that enters our world to save us, to be with us. So we're going to conclude our service there. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to close in prayer and we'll have some time for fellowship afterwards. Holy Father, thank you for being God, for caring about us and finding um, and making us have worth that you would that you would die for us, that you would send Jesus to die for us, Lord. Um, I pray as we enter this next week that would shape how we encounter blessings and trials, how we encounter difficulties and joy. So be with us. Help us to enjoy our time of fellowship now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us for our formal um, church service. Uh, Please stay for some morning tea. Thank you.